It was late, but it was great. Arsenal defeat Manchester United in dramatic fashion. We're going to be looking back on an enthralling game right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Hope you've got as big a smile on your face as I have this evening, having not long walked in through the front door from Emirates Stadium. I can say that I am buzzing with that. Was it the best Arsenal performance that we've seen over the last few years? No, it wasn't. Were there things that we could improve on? Yeah, I think they were. But I think it was a good enough performance to deserve to win the game. And in the end, we managed to do exactly that. And you know what? Sometimes it's sweeter when victory comes in the way that it did today. Sometimes it's sweeter when victory comes in dramatic fashion. That moment when Declan Rice's effort found its way through Andre Onana and into the back of the net, and then to see Gabriel Jesus finish it off the way he did, absolutely sensational. I'm buzzing. I'm sure you guys are too. We're going to break it all down on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. We're live on YouTube currently and a big hello to everybody that will be listening to this, of course, in audio format as well. Let's get into it. Hope you are good. I'm sure you are. Why wouldn't you be after a result like that? Why wouldn't you be after a finale to a game like that? Um, I just want to share with you guys before we go forward into the podcast, we're going to get into all of it. We're going to talk about the team. We're going to talk about Kai Havertz. We're going to talk about the big VAR decisions. Were they right? Were they wrong? We're going to be talking about Declan Rice. We're going to be talking uh, about Gabriel Jesus's impact. There's so much to get into and break down. We're going to talk about Arteta's post-match comments. We're going to talk a little bit about what Eric Ten Hag had to say as well. Sour grapes on his part. We're going to get into all of it. We're going to break it all down, as I say. Very much looking forward uh, to the next hour or so in you guys' company. Uh, but first, I just want to share with you guys a quick video that I took in which I managed to capture the Gabriel Jesus goal. And the reason I managed to capture this was because, obviously, I was doing the radio for the game. And what I really wanted to get was the final whistle moment on camera. And I thought the final whistle was coming. So I, I got my phone out. I was kind of half holding it with one hand, which is why the camera's a little bit wobbly, doing my job. And then in the midst of all of that, Arsenal broke away. Fabio Vieira played that wonderful pass. Gabriel Jesus showed all the composure in the world and he slotted past Andre Onana to wrap up the victory for Arsenal. Take a look at this. This is probably one of the best videos I've ever caught. Here we go. How about that? That was the view from the press box. You can hear me screaming in the background as well. Um, <laughs> how professional of me. Uh, but anyway, yeah, um, just what an afternoon, you know, what an afternoon. Um, obviously, I I'm listen, I'm really fortunate to do the job I do. I know that. And I'm really fortunate to be able to get the access that I do through the job that I do. But today was one of those days that 
I looked over to the North Bank where my season ticket is with envy. Now, my brother was sitting there today in my seat and I just looked over and I thought, you must be having the time of your life because, yeah, you can jump up and you can shout and, you know, you can go big when you're commentating on a match and all the rest of it in the press box. But it's not the same as being able to jump up and down like a nutcase um, as I would have done had I been in the North Bank. So I was a little bit upset about that. Like uh, there was a little bit of regret there, but it, it kind of is what it is. Right. So um, we take it on the chin. But I mean, amazing scenes right at the end of that game look before we continue further on uh, if i could just ask if you haven't done so already please do leave a like on the video because that really really does help subscribe to the channel as well if you're brand spanking new uh, that really really does help as well as we continue on our road towards thirty thousand subscribers here on youtube uh we're also um continuing to grow on the audio platforms which is amazing as well so thank you for your support uh however it is that you like to consume uh, the chronicles of aguna content right let's um let's break the game down then let's get into it let's um start by giving you the overview of the game and then we'll go through it incident by incident talking point by talking point manchester united of course took the lead on 27 minutes through marcus rashford just a minute later martin odegaard the captain drew the gunners uh, level um on the 96th minute declan rice found what looked like it was going to be the winner. Uh, and on the 101st minute, Gabriel Jesus uh, added a goal to seal the deal. Um, Dial Square says, um, your brother jumped on my back when we scored. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Um, you could tell he's my brother because he looks quite a lot like me as well. Um, but yeah, look, that, that's how the game went overall. But there were some talking points along the way that I think we've got to get into. So let's start with the team selection. We knew from yesterday that Thomas Partey wasn't playing. Uh, we knew that he'd sustained an injury. The Ghanaian FA had put something out, which kind of let the cat out of the bag. And I'm not too sure how how happy Arsenal would have been with that uh, being put out into the public domain. Arsenal kind of tried their best to cover it up, you feel. Uh, they posted training pictures uh, that had Thomas Partey in them, which were probably from the day before they said they were. Um Understandably, they didn't want Manchester United to know what it was they were going to do, how they might line up. And they didn't want Manchester United to have time and the, the foresight to be able to plan uh, to play against Arsenal without Thomas Partey. So you can understand why the club wants to keep this type, type of thing secret. And it must be incredibly frustrating when that type of news then breaks and does the rounds. I know as fans, we always want the information and we want to be in the know as much as we possibly can be. But I think from a club's perspective, it would have been quite frustrating that that information leaked uh, and was doing the rounds. In a weird way, Mikel Arteta not having Thomas Partey, I think, kind of gave him no choice but to go back to the tried and trusted, to go back to the back four that for large periods of last season served us so well. You know, um, on the right-hand side, Ben White, on the left, Zinchenko, and, and him doing that inverted role going inside. And then, obviously, Saliba and Gabriel reunited as a pair at the heart of Arsenal's defence. And I just wonder if, had Thomas Partey been fit, Mikel Arteta would have been tempted to continue with the formation. It's not a different formation, but continue with the selection that he thought um, was, was the one or, or thought was right to persist with. Because from everything he said after the Fulham game and from everything he said in the build-up to this game, there was no indication that he felt any regret or any remorse about the way he set us up 
in the opening games. He clearly feels that even with Partey playing at right back initially as he was, but obviously going into midfield, as we've discussed a million and one times, Arsenal were doing enough to win games and Arsenal were dominating games. He talked about off the back of the Fulham game, us having like a 98% chance of winning it based on how well we played and all the chances we created and all the rest of it. But the, the fine margins had gone against us. We weren't able to capitalise when it mattered and we got caught out because we switched off in key moments. So I just wonder, had Thomas Partey been fit if we'd have seen that again? I've said to you guys that I think a lot of the reason that Thomas Partey has been playing in that position is because of Alexander Zinchenko not being fit. With Zinchenko fit again today and Thomas Partey out, it became an easier decision, I think, for Mikel Arteta to go back to what, or, or a lot more like what, loads of us wanted to see. Now, in an ideal world, Thomas Partey's fit. And for me, he plays in midfield alongside Declan Rice with Martin Odegaard in there as well. But obviously, that wasn't possible today. And so the big debate or the big question mark was around what Mikel would do in midfield. Should Kai Havertz continue in that position? Should Jorginho have come into the side to give us that little bit more control, sat that little bit deeper and given Declan Rice that little bit more license to get forward? Was that an option, a possibility? I think against a team like Manchester United, who are so good on the transition, I think that might not have been the right way to go. I, I must admit, in my own mind, going through the kind of motions this morning as I was on the way to the game and all the rest of it, I was thinking about that. And I was considering, you know, in my own mind, is, is, is that the way that Mikel should go? He didn't. He persisted with Kai Havertz um, in that position. Everything else was, was right for me. Um, Lots of debate about Jesus and Nketiah. Look, Jesus has just come back from a knee op and he only came on for a few minutes at the end of the Fulham game. He, he wasn't, in my opinion, ready to start a game like this. And Eddie Nketiah had done nothing wrong. I mean, if you think about his start to the season, he scored against Forest. He won the penalty that won us the game at Crystal Palace and he'd scored coming off the bench against Fulham. So when you take all of that into consideration, Eddie Nketiah deserved his starting place today. And I thought he did well for the most part. Uh, of the time he was, uh, of course, on uh, on the pitch. Uh, but I want to take it back to Kai Havertz, right, for a minute, because I, I think I've defended Kai Havertz quite a bit. Um, I've always said that he's a really talented player. I was behind the signing when it came to sort of our knowledge that that was a possibility. I've I've pleaded patience when it comes to Kai Havertz because I think that people are, are really quick to jump on his back. And that's partly because he is a player that just divides opinion by his very nature, but also partly because he come from Chelsea and because of the fee that we paid for him. There's so many factors within kind of this conversation that you need to take into consideration. And actually, you know, Mikel Arteta, I think, has tried this week to kind of turn the fans' uh, heads a little bit towards the positive side of Kai Havertz as opposed to everybody looking at the negatives. And he's got to do that as a manager. He's got to put his arm around him. He's got to, you know, show him the faith. He's got to keep persisting with him to a point and to a degree because he obviously thought this guy was good enough. He's gone and paid a lot of money for him. And, and I actually think his performances outside of today have been okay. Not great, not brilliant. He hasn't exactly pulled up trees, but he's done okay. And he has a purpose in this side. He will come good eventually. I'm certain of that. But today he had a poor game, if truth be told. And we've got to be truthful when we do these reviews, right? We've got to be honest. We've got to be open. 
And Kai Havertz, for me, had a really poor game today. He gives the ball away that leads to the Marcus Rashford goal. Has very little impact, I would say, in an attacking sense in the lead up um, to the Rashford goal. So it wasn't like he was performing well up until that point and it was one lapse in concentration. It was a really poor pass. He was late to two or three challenges as well prior to that. He gives that ball away. He also missed a golden opportunity early on in the game where the ball broke to him and he just sort of air kicked it. Awful, awful effort. It nearly broke for Enketia, but for some really good defending from Lisandro Martinez, who was down on the ground, by the way, at the time and still managed to poke it away from Enketia's run. But yeah, it was just such a disappointing first half from Kai Havertz. He didn't get involved in the game at all, apart from missing the best chance either side had had in the half, even after the two goals went in. And, you know, it, I just I just don't know where he fits right now. And I'm really struggling to kind of continue supporting or backing, not supporting. I, I'll always support him because he's an Arsenal player, but I, I'm struggling to continue making the case that he should be in the starting 11 is basically what I'm saying. And I think circumstance made it an easier decision for Arteta today because Partey wasn't there um, and, and all the rest of it. It meant that, you know, you could leave Havertz there and not have this conundrum about how you use Partey, where you use him and all the rest of it, particularly given that Zinchenko was at a point where he was ready uh, to start as well. But I think Kai Havertz will come good eventually. I just I have to be open and honest. And I thought he had a bit of a stinker today. He wasn't really effective in the second half either. And actually, we looked better when he came off of the pitch, which kind of kind of says a lot. Um Let's talk about the first goal. Um, as I say, the Manchester United goal, it was a Kai Havertz error. It was a pass uh, across the midfield. Arsenal gave it away to Ericsson. Ericsson carried it forward. He drove forward a few yards and he played a ball in behind Ben White, which Marcus Rashford got onto. It's got incredible pace, Marcus Rashford. And we know how dangerous he is when he picks the ball up and he drifts in off that left-hand side. You can't let him do it. We can talk all we like about Kai Havertz's role in that goal. And obviously it's a significant role. But I also think we've got to be better on the transition. We still look incredibly vulnerable in those situations. We looked vulnerable on a few occasions down at Crystal Palace. We looked vulnerable on the opening weekend against Nottingham Forest on occasion. Um, we looked uh, very vulnerable against Fulham at certain points you know, because players would push forward and step into other areas. And I know we're trying to be brave and we're trying to play in a certain way, but we leave ourselves susceptible to the point where one misplaced pass in this league can be our undoing. And you don't want to give players like Marcus Rashford opportunities like that. He steps inside, he bends it towards the far corner. If I'm being super, super hypercritical, maybe Aaron Ramsdale, having got something on it, needs to do a little bit more to keep it out. Clips off the post, goes into the back of the net. Manchester United having done nothing up until that point other than take an absolute age on the ball with Andre Onana on the edge of his six-yard box, messing around from minute one. They'd done nothing else apart from that. And all of a sudden, they were in front. What really, really pleased me with Ars was Arsenal's response. And that was a superb move from Arsenal down that left-hand side to create the chance for Martin Odegaard. Uh, Enketia was involved in that. Martinelli was involved in that. The play down the left was fantastic. And when the ball got cut back to Odegaard, he, he was in the typical Martin Odegaard position. And you can see since he's come to Arsenal that there's been a real emphasis on getting him into those areas more. He's doing it more and more frequently. Done it loads last season. Managed to score 15 goals in all competitions. Um, happy days. And 
he just ran onto that brilliantly and he, he kept his cool. He kept his calm. Not only did he place the finish excellently in the bottom corner, giving Andre Onana very little chance of saving it, but he makes such a clean connection with the ball as well. It has that power that beats any goalkeeper. And I was delighted when we responded that quickly because that kind of just allowed us to move past the error nice and quick. I think that was important for Kai Havertz as well, because he might have dwelled on it a little bit more, actually. You know, I think he's suffering from a bit of a lack of confidence at the moment. The talk around him, the speculation around him, some of the noises coming from the crowd can't be helpful. But I think the fact that Arsenal did respond as quickly as they did would have helped him to move on from that and move past that at that particular point. Uh, big thank you uh, to Mafia Boss, who says, just happy, Harry. Come on, you gunners. Yeah, you and me both, my friend. Absolutely buzzing. So we're 1-1. Uh, time comes. And, you know, you're looking at Manchester United, and I don't know about you guys, but at that point, I thought they were there for the taking. I didn't see anything from Manchester United that particularly concerned me. The one decent breakaway they had resulted in a goal, but that's just typical of Arsenal, isn't it? We do really, really well for the majority of the game. And in one moment, we seem to press the self-destruct button. One lapse of concentration is all it takes for us to be punished. And um, and I guess you could argue that's what happens when you play at the very, very top level against good teams and against top players like Marcus Rashford. But it does feel like we're a little bit unlucky in that regard, in that we give up one chance, it seems to result in a goal. We can have 10, 15 chances ourselves and we couldn't hit a barn door. It becomes really, really frustrating at times. But then, of course, in the second half, Arsenal were initially awarded a penalty by Anthony Taylor. Kai Havertz was the one that won it. And I was like, great. You know, Kai Havertz had a stinker of a first half, wasn't very good, head down, confidence must be low. Here he is in the second half, receiving a ball, driving, using that little bit of acceleration that he's got. And it's it's kind of, you know, it, it's a little bit deceiving, that little bit of acceleration that he's got, because he's so big in language, you don't expect it. But he just managed to pull away. And across comes Wan-Bissaka. Um, and, you know, for me, I've got to be honest, when I first saw it, I thought Stonewall penalty. Can't believe that anybody's even going to debate this. Anthony Taylor points to the spot. But obviously being in the press box, I do have a little screen in front of me um, on which I can watch replays. And as soon as I saw the replay, I started to wonder whether or not VAR was going to get involved. And I, and I have to say, having watched it back at the time, five or six times and more times since I've got home this evening, I think it... <laughs> I think it was the right decision to overturn it. Now, that ain't going to go down well with some Arsenal fans, but I'm being honest. I think it was the correct call. I don't think there's enough contact from Wan-Bissaka on Kai Havertz to justify him going down. I think he kind of anticipates some contact that doesn't really come. And we talk about this all the time in, in modern football, players anticipating contact. And even if there is a bit of contact, which I think there is, Football is a contact sport. It doesn't mean that any time you make contact, it's a penalty. Now, Manchester United got a penalty very, very similar to that against Nottingham Forest last weekend. And I moaned about it and I whinged about it and I complained about it. And I said there was no way in hell that that was a penalty. So if I sat here now a week later and claimed that this was, I'd be a hypocrite. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be fair. And I think Anthony Taylor... I can understand why he's given that penalty at first glance, because I thought it was at first glance too, albeit he's in a better position than me. But that was a classic example of what VAR is for. 
to correct wrong decisions. And it was the right decision to overturn that. I, I, I think that. Of course, late on in the game, really late on in the game, Arsenal had a few opportunities. Arsenal were knocking at the door, lots and lots of possession. I thought Hoyland, when he came on for Manchester United, made quite a big difference. They, he gave them a focal point, far more combative than Anthony Martial. And he caused Gabriel a few issues, actually, in terms of the physical duels between the two of them. But then, again, we gave the ball away in midfield. Sloppy, I think it was Gabriel Jesus that time. He was livid because he thought he was fouled. Having seen that back, I don't think he was. And a ball was played in behind for Alejandro Garnacho, who raced through on goal and coolly slotted past um, the onrushing Aaron Ramsdale. And at that point, I thought, for God's sake, how have we managed to throw this away? How have we gone from responding straight away with an equaliser, all the momentum being with us, being the better side for the majority of the game, creating all the best chances, the Saka chance. You remember that Saka chance? My word, wonderful play down the right-hand side. The ball came across the box and Saka just snatched at it. He got it horribly, horribly wrong. But how had we gone from that to conceding a late equaliser on the transition that way? But had we learned nothing? Last season, United scored five goals against us in the Premier League. And from what I can remember, three of them at least were counter-attacking goals. Did we not learn our lesson? Up until that point, I thought we had. Because actually, if you look at the way Arsenal were pressing this afternoon, um, particularly in the first half, it was a little bit more measured. It was a little bit more reserved. It wasn't that full-blown press that we see from Arsenal where everybody squeezes up. It was just a little bit more calculated because Arsenal recognised that Manchester United are that type of team that can pick you off with a couple of passes. They've got the pacing behind to hurt you. We know that Andre Onana has added something to them in that they can now use him as that extra body at the back if they want to play through a press. It looked to me throughout most of the game that Arsenal had learned from what happened last year against Manchester United. But then to get done by that goal and to see that roll into the back of the net, it just made me think, for God's sake, how have we switched off again? You know, how have we switched off again? And I have to say, and, I, and I'm being 100% truthful here, when I was sitting there and I was doing my commentary, I said offside. I said there's a hint of offside about that run from Garnacho. I wasn't totally 100% sure. I was pretty much in line with it. But just seeing sort of the way Gabriel shaped his body at the time, it made me think that he maybe just did enough to catch Alejandro Garnacho offside. Now, Eric Ten Hag has come out and moaned about this and complained about it. He's been whinging about it. He says, no, it's completely wrong. It was 100% onside. They've used the wrong camera angle. Listen, Eric, let me, let me spell it out for you. Let me break it down for you, okay? We do not have cameras in the Premier League at every single angle. We do not have cameras that cover every single blade of grass. We are relying on a number of cameras, okay? And the reason the line system was introduced, where they draw the lines, is to try and navigate around the issue of the camera angles. Now, I can't 100% be sure that Alejandro Garnacho was ahead of Gabriel there. And I think there's a really good argument and case that says, you know, you've got to take into consideration the frame rate of the camera. Have you paused the pictures at the exact time that the ball was released? Is it when the ball... Uh, when the player makes contact with the ball with his foot or is it when the, the ball leaves from his foot? Like, it, there are a lot of grey areas in this, right? And, and I accept that. And so if somebody wants to sit there and say, look, 
I think we need to do better with offsides. I think we need to find a better way of working them out. I think we need better technology. I'm all aboard with that. And I'm all for that. And I actually agree with that. But ever since VAR's come into play, we've been using the line system. Okay. So there will be times where Eric Ten Hag's Manchester United have benefited from all sorts of refereeing decisions. Funny how he didn't really want to say anything after the Wolves game on the opening weekend of the season when Andre Onana came flying out, committed GBH, and Wolves were denied a penalty, a clear Stonewall penalty. He didn't think that was a penalty kick, but he thought a epoxy challenge on Hoyland today was. This is the thing with football. This is the thing that really pisses me off, right? We're never going to get to a point where everything is right because, A, a lot of stuff is subjective, but B, because people in the game, within the game, are just not mature enough. That game against Wolves, where Manchester United were clearly done a favour by the officials, he should have just come out and said, look, I thought it was a penalty. We were lucky to get away with that. Just like Erling Haaland came out yesterday and said, if I was Fulham, I'd be livid because I thought that was offside. That's the kind of honesty that we need if we're going to get real change and, and we're really going to sort of push excellence or try and raise the standards of the officiating, hold them accountable. The only way we get to that point is when for a a period of time, people can put their tribalism to one side and look at a decision for what it is. I wanted us to have a penalty today. But I asked myself the question after I saw the replay, do I really want to see penalty kicks given for that week in, week out? And the answer is no. So for the good of the game, I'm okay with that not being given. Fine. Okay. That's what Eric Ten Hag has to do here. We are constantly, constantly using these lines. We are constantly using that system. Why today of all days do we just discard it and pretend that it's not, um, that it's definitely wrong and it's not fit for purpose? Maybe it isn't 100% fit for purpose. Maybe there is better technology to come that can fix that. I'm sure there is. The semi-automated offside stuff that we've seen, um, you know, uh, sort of slowly being introduced is much better than that. But, you can't just go, oh, well, we used the lines last week, but this week we won't. We'll just look at it with our eyes and, and we, we'll just decide, you know, on that basis. This is this is the thing, okay? That's what we use. That's how it is. Everybody's got to accept it. If that's the outcome of the decision, fine. And because that's what the lines tell us and because of the, the drawings and all the rest of it, I think you just got to shut up and accept that decision. I would shut up and accept that decision if it was the other way around. Simple as that. Simple as that. So we get away with that. But the never say die attitude of this team is just its something else. It really, really is. You know, we kept going. We kept knocking. We kept trying. We, we kept taking risks in order to try and win the game. We weren't satisfied with the point. We just dropped two points at home to Fulham last week. But what a difference it makes to be able to bring players off of the bench that can impact football matches. You know, Zinchenko had run out of gas towards the end of the game, hadn't played a full 90 minutes. It was understandable. Takahiro Tomiyasu comes on and does a solid job, at least defensively. Not quite as creative when he goes into the midfield positions. Not um, someone that will drift infielders regularly as Zinchenko does. Played more of an orthodox left-back role during that period, I thought, um, and did okay. But then you've got Gabriel Jesus who came on and injected real life into our attack. He's such a tricky customer, causing United all sorts of problems on our right-hand side, the left-hand side. And then you've got Fabio Vieira, who has really, really found himself of late. Came on against Fulham, was magnificent. 
came on today and was brilliant again. Got another assist to his name. And Mikel Arteta told us in his post-match press conference that you can feel it with Fabio Vieira. You can feel that he's a different player now. You can feel that he, he holds himself in higher regard, that he sees himself as one of the more senior players, and he's ready to come on an impact game. And to have that at your disposal is so important. To be able to, for example, bring on Jorginho to exact a little bit more control in certain situations is also a really, really useful thing to have at your disposal. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think Arsenal were amazing today. I don't think Arsenal have been amazing at all this season, but we're getting results. We won three out of four and we've drawn the other one. We didn't lose it. We were unlucky to draw it. I think we can all agree on that. You know, and, and after the game, there was a question put to Mikel Arteta. I think it was Alex Crook from TalkSport who said, Mikel, you know, did you feel like you really needed to win today because Manchester City are so imperious? You know, they've won four out of four and you could make the case, you could make the argument that they're actually at nowhere near their best. And Mikel, kind of, I thought, gave a brilliant answer to this. He basically said, and I'm paraphrasing it, but he basically said, we cannot afford to be anxious about every single game. Like, you can't just be like four games in, oh my God, if we don't win today, you know, we're going to throw away the title. Like, you can't live like that from day to day. You've got to just focus on on it game to game and see where you are. And I think Arsenal have deserved to win all of the matches that they've played so far in the Premier League this season. They've managed to win three of them. They've drawn one, which was unfortunate. I think we can all agree. But yeah, um, you know, it's it's about the attitude that they're showing, the fact that they just want to keep going, keep pushing until the very end. I thought the crowd were fantastic. I thought the the eruption within the Emirates Stadium, the scenes that were generated by that Declan Rice got. I mean, I would have picked Kai Havertz to be the one to score the winner if I could have handpicked someone. But next, it would have been Declan Rice because particularly at Palace, I thought he was excellent. Um, I thought he was really, really good that night. Um, I thought it was okay against Fulham. Not as good as he was at Palace, but then I thought he was back to his best again today. I thought he really dominated the midfield. I thought it was superb. And, you know, what a moment to get your first Premier League goal for Arsenal. You know, it took a little bit of a deflection, fine, but, you know, it's found its way into the back of the net and it's happy days. And again, Ten Hag was moaning about that. He thought there was a foul committed by Gabriel, which was an absolute nonsense. I'll tell you what, Eric, how about you look at your defender who tries to commit a foul himself and then literally bottles the challenge. If my centre-half or my defender in that situation is going down to the ground rather than defending. I'd be livid with him. And I think Eric Ten Hag let himself down today. He wanted um, a penalty kick on Hoyland. He wanted Arsenal's second goal to be ruled out. He wanted Garnacho's goal to stand. He basically wanted every single decision. And the truth is, Eric, you should be looking at your side. You should be looking at your squad. You know, and, you know, I was saying this to someone after the game. You've got Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire finishing a game at centre-back in 2023. That's where your real problems are. You've got Anthony Martial playing up front. It was totally anonymous. And when people want to plead the poverty card with Manchester United, oh, the Glazers have taken all their money and they haven't got any money to spend. And that's why they've had to get Amrabat and Regulon on loan deals. And, and that's why they signed Veghorst last January. Yeah, that's an issue. Of course it is. The Glazers has been a problem for have been a problem for Manchester United for a long, long time. But but he did spend £80 million on Anthony, mate. And le let's not forget that because he has been abysmal for me in a Manchester United shirt. He really, really has. Um, I mean, 
with our performance, I'll, I'll go back to that and then I'll take a few of your questions uh, before we sign out. Um, the only reason I'm going to sign out is because I'm, I've got some work to do uh, this evening. going to do uh, a bit with CNN and a couple of other bits and pieces. We'll be back with another episode tomorrow so we can pick up any sort of loose ends that we don't get covered on this episode. But I mean, I thought our performance was good, not brilliant, but good. I still think we're too easy to get at defensively. I don't really know what the issue is there. Is it to do with the balance of the team? I think that when we were playing sort of with Partey at right back, it was affecting our balance in the right back position because he isn't a right back and we don't have that solidity that we have there, for example, when Ben White plays there. But then in today's instance where you don't have Partey available, therefore you can't push him into the midfield alongside Rice, which I think, by the way, is the the best Arsenal that you'll see, then you're left with Rice, Odegaard and Havertz. And that's a bit imbalanced for me as well. So I kind of expected the performance not to be perfect because of that imbalance that I believe is there in the midfield. What I will say is I thought that Martinelli was better today. I, I didn't think he'd been at his best in the last couple of weeks. and I thought he was better today. Saka still not quite a 100% man. And I don't want to beat him up because, you know, he is our star boy and all the rest of it. But he really ought to have taken that chance uh, in the second half prior to Arsenal finding the second goal in the end. Um, but yeah, uh, look, lots of positives. The, the big positive is that our squad depth showed in that we were able to bring players on to impact the game. We seem to have at least learned from our mistakes against Manchester United in the past in that I think our approach to the pressing game was a little bit different today at certain points in the game. Um, the character that we showed, obviously, to find the second and third goals, the connection that we continue to build with the fans because of moments like that. So I think there's way more positives than negatives. I want to give the the officials some credit today as well. I don't normally give officials credit, but as a team, they got all the big decisions right, in my opinion. And that's what you want to see in a big game like that. And um, yeah, I think there's there's reason to be optimistic that after the international break, we can come back, we can get back to winning ways, we can continue uh, on the right trajectory and that slowly, slowly we're becoming a better and better side. Look, you can't be at your absolute peak for 38 games of a season. Nobody's done that. Nobody's ever done that. The Invincibles didn't do that. Drew 12 games and and towards the end, some of that was a bit of a struggle. Last year, I think we peaked too early in a lot of ways. So I'm okay with us sort of slowly finding our feet this season and slowly kind of building into it as long as we're picking up the results. And for the most part, we are at the moment. So there's no reason um, for us to be concerned. Just enjoy the victory. Just be happy with it because it means a hell of a lot to beat them, doesn't it? It really, really does. And to do it in that fashion, oh, my word, my word. Um, I guess those are the main points that I wanted to cover. As I say, we'll be back again tomorrow. So we'll do a little bit more of a deep dive into certain aspects and elements of the game. I'll be watching the game back in full as well. So I'll probably pick up a couple more uh, observations uh, from that as well. Um, I do want to take some of your questions before I go. So we'll spend the last 10 or so minutes uh, of the show doing that. We're going to take a very short pause. And when we come back, your questions until the end of the show. So start getting them into the chat box. Right, before we continue on, uh, we have got a hell of a lot of you watching us live at the moment, but we've only got 135 likes on the board. What's that about? Come on. 
There's no reason why we shouldn't have at least 250. So please like the video if you haven't done so already. Also subscribe to the channel if your brand's banking you as well. That really, really does help. Um, it helps so much more than you would know with regards to the algorithm. Um, somebody's asking me in the chat if I've seen the Sancho tweet. I haven't. Um, this is obviously an Arsenal podcast, but obviously Eric Ten Hag um, said something like he's, he's not been putting the performances in in training or something, and that's why he wasn't in the side, which was interesting. Um, Jane Sancho has, has responded to that. Go over on Twitter and check it out. I won't spoil it for you. Um, go and have a look at it. Uh, Mexi says, do we know when Partey will be back? Well, pre-game, uh, Mikel, from what I understand, and I, I wasn't in on this interview, but from what I understand, he said something like, um, we have to do more tests. He could be out for a couple of weeks. But in the press conference post-match, he said, we have to do more tests. It doesn't look good. Um, so make of that what you will. He was asked if it was a hamstring injury. He said, no, it's a groin problem, but it could be somewhere in between a groin and hamstring problem, which would be even bloody worse. Um, look, it's, it's rotten luck and all the rest of it, but I mean, with Thomas Partey, we, there's a problem here. It's, I put a tweet out about this yesterday, last night, when I was sort of reading the news and someone came back to me and said, yeah, but he only missed four or five games last season. I said, all right. Overall, I think he's only started in 66% or something of Arsenal's Premier League games. That is nowhere near good enough. That is nowhere near good enough for a player that you rely on so much. And it's only because he's a great player that we get so frustrated when he's not available. If he wasn't that great player, then it wouldn't matter half as much. But because he is that good and that important to everything that we do, it becomes really, really frustrating. Nas says, surely Fabio starts now. I mean, he's knocking on the door, isn't he? I, I talked about the balance of the midfield being a little bit off with Kai Havertz in it. I have to say, I don't think it will be quite right with Fabio Vieira in there either, because I just don't think he's the profile of player that I personally want to see sitting alongside Rice and Odegaard, particularly now in Partey's absence as well. But I mean, he's been able to come off the bench and impact games, and that's a skill in itself as well. To be able to come into games cold and, and grab them by the scruff of the neck and have an impact is a really important skill. And it's really important to have players within your squad that can do that. You know, last season at times that was Leandro Trossard. Today it was Fabio Vieira. Against Fulham, it was Fabio Vieira. And I'm I for one am delighted with him. Paul James says, would we be viewing Kai's performance very differently if he'd scored that sitter? Paul, 100 percent Um, I was saying to Tom Canton at halftime when we were in the media room that. You know, it could have all been so different. That could have been the liftoff point for him. That could have been the point at which it all turned. And, you know, and he, and he got that bit of love from the fans, which then sort of developed into, into him growing in confidence and therefore him producing better performances. It will come. It will come. I'm not overly stressed about it. I just think that because the team's not playing that well either, we can't really... I say not that well, in comparison to what we saw at times last season, we can't afford to carry that passenger at this moment. Curtis says, "What was, was that Jesus's best goal in an Arsenal shirt? Class, it was up there, wasn't it? Should we roll it again? Should we roll it again uh, from the press box? Here we go. This is the
<laughs> I videoed it myself, so I can't even get a copyright strike. There you go. Um, what have we got? What else have we got in the chat box? Um, Mo L says, why the pauses, Harry? Never get the breaks during the live stream. So I've explained it before, but just, just quickly as a reminder, obviously you guys will know that this goes out as a podcast as well. And we have just as big an audience on the audio platforms as we do on YouTube. And there are uh, contractual obligations that I have with advertisers on the podcast. And the reason I put the pauses in is because then I can get those advertisers to slot their adverts in at the specific points where I've paused so that they don't just start in the middle of a conversation. So I'm not making a point, a midpoint. It goes, bang, check out uh you know, this product or that product. I don't want that. So if I have those pauses, then when I convert it into audio format for the audio platforms, that's where the advertisers will slot their bits in. And therefore it doesn't disrupt the show and it flows. So um, yeah, that's the reason for that. Um, Richie says, how happy was Rice uh, getting that goal? The kid is Arsenal. Oh man. He loved it, didn't he? He absolutely loved it. He really, really did. Uh, Saswat says, um, his questions don't get picked. Let me find it. Here we go. He says, we keep doubting Havertz, but I'm yet to see the in-swing crosses we provided Shaka with last season where I think Kai's strength lies. Um, do you think it's a trust chemistry issue? I think it's a chemistry issue. And I think in time, it will be fixed and it will be resolved. And I think he will develop. Um, I think he will develop those relationships with his teammates and, and that will put him in a better position to produce uh, as well. It'll mean you'll get the service and naturally when you get more service, the likelihood of you producing outputs obviously increases. Uh, Goon Gang says, is Declan Rice's goal bigger than uh, Reese's Bournemouth goal? Um, no, not in the context of when it was like the Bournemouth goal was the moment I thought we were going to win the league, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, so that one feels bigger. This one was big though, in the sense of, you know, it would have been two draws at home, people would have asked questions. That conversation and discussion would have rumbled on throughout the international break. And we'd have had to return from the international break with that extra bit of pressure to get the victory. A morale boost in victory like that against a rival like Manchester United is massive mentally, but also just to pick up the points, I think was key uh, going into the international break because of, uh, as we've talked about, how relentless Manchester City are. I'm going to take a couple more. Uh, Ray Beam says, is it time to take the spuds seriously? Do you know what? They're looking good under Ange Postacoglu. They look fun. They'll score goals. They'll concede goals as well, though. Uh, Paul James says, will we ever have a clean sheet in a home game? I think I'm, off the top of my head, because I, I read this stat out on the radio earlier today, I think we've only kept four clean sheets in our last 26 home games. It's nowhere near good enough, is it? And we need to fix that. We really, really do. We can't be in a situation where we need to score three goals to win games. You know, it, it's asking too much of the guys. It really, really is. Um, what else have we got? Uh, big shout out to Lynn, who's in the chat as well. Uh, good to see you there, Lynn. Uh, I'll pick out a couple more. Um, Kenny says, Harry, thoughts on Eddie? I think he's improving so much. I agree with that. Um, his all-round game is so much better than it was you know, even a year ago, you know, he's getting better all the time. He's improving all the time. And, you know, you can see that he's been well coached. You can see that he understands the role that he has in the side now. 
and what he's required to do off the ball as well as on it. It's not just about popping up in the six-yard box when you play up front in this Arsenal team. You've got to link up play. You've got to run channels. You've got to drop deep at times. You've got to do various different things, things that Gabriel Jesus does brilliantly. Eddie Nketiah is getting there slowly, slowly. But I certainly feel more comfortable about him stepping in now than I did before. I think he got a bit tired today, um, you know, and and was replaced. And, and Gabriel Jesus just brought that little bit of X factor to the front line when he came on, which we know he's capable of. Nobody's saying Eddie's as good as Jesus, but he, he needs more respect, Eddie Nketiah, for, for the improvements that he's made, I think, over the last couple of years. Uh, Sam Rivera says, uh, hit the like button, guys. Harry's class, much love from the USA. Thank you so, so much, mate. Uh, I really, really appreciate that. I think that's a good way to sign off. I'm going to leave it there. Um, I've been up since 4.30 this morning. Uh, I did the TalkSport weekend breakfast at Paper Review. So I was up at 4.30, left my house at 5.15 in the morning, came home, had a couple of cups of coffee and made my way down to Emirates Stadium. I was at the game. I've come back. I'm doing this. I've got more work to do this evening. So for those of you in the chat earlier on that said I look knackered, that is why. Um, we'll be back tomorrow with more. Uh, the 90 Min show returns tomorrow as well, which should be fun. Can't wait to sit next to Scott and break this one down. Uh, it should be good fun. Um, so I'll catch you on that as well for those of you that do uh, tune into that as well. But yeah, it's great to do a podcast. Um, as Richie says, uh, in a positive light, it is indeed. Uh, thank you to George Davis uh, for your kind words as well. Really, really appreciate that. Uh, Paul says, no excuses. Yeah, you're right. Demand the best. Demand the best all the time. Right. I'm going to see you all then uh, tomorrow. Have a great evening. Go off and watch Match of the Day. Watch the game back as many times as you want. I'll certainly be watching that last 10 minutes or so uh, a few times before I go to bed. Until then, uh, catch you all soon. Goodbye. Have a great evening. Up the Arsenal. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.